Creative Process Podcast, a discussion with artists about what goes on behind the scenes when they're creating their work. I'm your host, Dave Hopper. On today's episode, we speak with fine art photographer Brooke Shaden. Along with being a photographer, she is also a speaker and an author. Her fine art work has been exhibited and published numerous times, and she creates fantastic realities within her frames. She's on a mission to share compassion and create joy, and she was kind enough to join me for the inaugural episode. Brooke, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so honored that you would ask me to be here. Well, I really like your conceptual images, and I like that, especially for this podcast, there seems to be a lot of creative process behind it. It's not just, I'm going to go out and snap this and put it through an action right. in Photoshop, and here you go. So I want to talk to you about where your ideas really start, where the ideas come from at the beginning. Yeah, well, that delights me. I love talking about that. And sometimes people only want to talk about gear and cameras and stuff. And so this is awesome. Um, So I'll just give a little general intro to my work, which is that I started creating sort of um, out of desperation in a sense. I had been... Um, I'd been creating my whole life in different ways, writing poetry, short stories, all sorts of creative writing, and then filmmaking as well. And that's what I went to college for, was filmmaking and creative writing. And it was sort of restrictive for me, where I was creating a lot, but there were all these different people telling me how I had to do it and what it had to look like and Mm. what kind of meaning I could put into it. And so it wasn't until I graduated about a week before that um, that I decided to pick up my camera and it was the first time that I had access to creativity that wasn't, I don't know, being dictated by the school that I was in or the people around me in some way. So it was really freeing for me and, and so my creative process has always started from within and that's always been sort of like my rule with photography is that if I'm going to create it has to be something that lives inside me to begin with. So you actually went from video to still then, because a lot of people seem to go yeah. the other way. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do find that. And I I love filmmaking a lot. I mean, I always have, and I think it's such a beautiful medium to tell stories in. But I also like to work by myself, and I like to be by myself. <laughs> and, and filmmaking just doesn't let you do that. You have to sort of have a crew if you want to make a really nice-looking film. So... Um, so I decided to leave that behind for a little bit. And I still dabble in it from time to time with music videos and just little film projects, but mm-hmm. nothing big. That is a, a problem with film because I, I get pictures in my head. Um, I'm also a photographer, just, you know, and yeah, and I get ideas for films and stuff like that. But it's just hard to with the collaborative medium. If it's you see this picture in your head and if it's a photograph, you can go make it. And you can mm-hmm. have the control over it. But if it's a film, it ends up being the picture that a lot of people want it to be instead of just you. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess can be helpful sometimes. Totally. And I always kind of forget to credit that, that it is wonderful to have people on set with you or, or wherever you are to be creating because they do offer something unique. But at some point, you have to just trust your instincts and let that sort of take its own form and see where that goes. So that's why I love photography. Where did that freedom take you when you got out of school? Where did that genesis off to? Well, I started out with um, basically just doing self-portraits, where I was creating in my tiny, tiny little apartment that I had and refused to leave because I was so shy and refused to ask (laughs) anybody else to model because I was so shy. And so I was shooting everything just on a blank white wall, just myself on a white wall. And that ended up being the perfect start because it taught me so much about 
how to manifest ideas in a space that might not be inspiring, which was the best lesson to learn, and how to create on a budget, which was also a really good (laughs) lesson to learn. So I started sort of teaching myself that way, and I definitely was creating images that were a bit darker, that were um, creepy and sort of had that shock value attached to it. And I think that that was really good to start with because it let me get out all of these really obvious dark emotions that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I could sort of refine that as I moved on in my journey where I stopped being so literally dark and dealing with death and, and adding more whimsy and surrealism and things like that into it. I saw you did a blog post that mentioned polarizing work and people telling you what not to put out there and what you can put out there. So you explored that a lot at the beginning, I would assume. Definitely. I mean, I was, and I think that's part of what fueled me, to be honest. I, I might not have continued with photography at some point if it hadn't been for that feedback because I was getting a lot of messages from people saying, um, well, saying two different things. One, either that I should never put the type of work that I'm creating online or in the public because it's offensive to some people or it's not appropriate for children or something like that. Um, that It was just a lot of people who felt very emphatically that their kids shouldn't see it or something like that. Um, and then I was also hearing from people who were so grateful that I was putting it out there because it was so dark and so, you know, obviously... I don't know, just just not the happy art that they were used to seeing, that they felt like somebody understood their emotions. And so it was because I realized very early on that art should be polarizing and that if you're creating something that's meaningful to you, then it will probably have the opposite effect on somebody else. And it was just a really good lesson. So that fueled me because I wanted to create art that meant something to somebody and not just art that people looked at and then two seconds later clicked over to something else. Yeah, the worst is to get ignored, I think. Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) The first message that people were giving that they didn't want their kids to see it. What responsibility do you think an artist has to think about that? Because you're just putting it out there. You're not saying that this kid needs to look at this. Yes, they might follow you, but I guess it's just a question of how much do you need to think about that? Well, I, I really teetered with that a lot in the beginning because I would have days where I felt really guilty because I'm such a people pleaser and I just didn't want to upset anybody and I didn't want people to be disappointed in me. So I I came at it from that standpoint at first where I was thinking, well, maybe I should remove this because I don't want anybody to not like me. And Mm -hmm. then I kind of realized that not only is that completely unhelpful as a way of thinking, but it's also a completely selfish way of looking at the situation where they're saying, I don't want my kid to look at this. And I'm saying, please don't like me. And it's just (laughs) coming back to me. So I decided that I just had to not care. And I would follow the rules of the internet. If the site didn't want nudes being posted, then I wouldn't post them there. But at the same time, there, you know, a lot of sites aren't moderating the content of the image, like the meaning behind it and the concept. And so I decided that I will post wherever I want. And all of those sites have filters for parents to use if they want to use them. And, you know, and, and in the end, I felt confident that what I was posting was genuinely not offensive in a very obvious way, especially because of what I was writing with it. So I would never just post an image that dealt with death and then not have a personal statement with it. And I think that really helps that, you know, the internet allows an artist to explain themselves and say why you're creating and the meaning behind it. And that helps other people understand a little better, too. I saw you said writing is your first love creatively, correct? Yes. So I guess that helps when you're explaining your pictures when you post them. 
Because a lot of people might struggle with that. But if you have that skill, that also helps. You can bridge more immediately. Yeah. I mean, I've always taken that for granted. I, I don't think that I'm the best writer or anything like that, but I do love it. And so I have a natural inclination to write with my pictures and to put words with them and explain myself. And I've had people ask me this question before where they'll say, well, I'm not a good writer, so I, how am I going to communicate with people? But it's not about that. I mean, art is never about how good you are at the, the art form that you're working on. It's so much more about if you can properly communicate your feelings. So it doesn't matter if you can't put a great sentence together. As long as you're saying something from the heart, people get that immediately. Do you have fear when you're just about to submit a picture, a very personal picture with a personal statement along with it? Sometimes. I, I've really gotten over that a lot. I used to have a lot of fear with that, where I would post something that meant a lot to me and that I didn't want people to misunderstand. But then it happened so often that somebody misunderstood that I started to accept that as just part of the art piece. And so now, no matter what the response is, whether it's, I don't get this, or I don't understand why you're feeling that way, or this is ugly, or this is beautiful, then I've just sort of accepted that that's part of the art. And I think that if you look at art as an extension, not just this is me and I'm putting it out there, but this is me, I'm putting it out there, and whatever people have to say about it just enhances the art piece itself, then it's such a a more healthy way of looking at it when when suddenly you're inviting people's opinions in to be part of the experience. Yeah, that's great. I saw uh, you said that all the artwork you make that may be darker in tone might not actually reflect on how you're actually feeling at that time in your real life, but it's just Mm -hmm. like a part of you. And is that tough for people to understand that know you? Yes, definitely. (laughs) On many levels, I think. I think that on on one level, there are the people who know me personally, who I'll put work out there and they'll be like, I don't know this part of you at all. Who is this? Why do you do this? And, And it's something that I don't feel the need to explain because... I'm I'm one person in my life and I'm another person in my art largely. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at the works that I've created, a lot of them are very deathly, very dark, but they don't I've never really experienced that in my life. I've been very fortunate to not have to go through such a traumatic experience. So when I say that it's it's me but it's not me, it's me in that it's um it's a manifestation of what I find to be beautiful and meaningful in life, whether I've experienced it or not. So that's where I like to create from. You went from the white wall at the beginning, and when did you start branching out after that? It took about a year to feel comfortable with going other places. So in that time, I moved from Philadelphia over to Los Angeles, and I still stayed in my little tiny apartment <laughs> that was even smaller at that point. It was a little and, bit um, warmer out there, right? <laughs> a little warmer, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But still not helpful. So <laughs> so I stayed inside for quite some time. And then I decided um, that I was in California and I had never really experienced that environment before. And so I remember I, I went to the beach a few times to try to incorporate locations that I thought were exciting and that would not have anybody in them. Um, but then, um, but then I started going places that were slightly more public and I would be, you know, wrapped in a bed sheet or something on the beach (laughs) doing a photo shoot. And of course it would draw a crowd every single time. And I started to realize that 
nobody really cared. Like they would come and they would ask what I was doing and what it meant and, and all of that. But then it's not like they were ever judging me or, or if they were, I didn't know it. And they would simply say something like, Oh, that's really cool. Or tell me more about it. Or can I see your pictures or something like that? And it was always just a great way to connect with people. And at the very least, it gave them a funny story to tell their family at the <laughs> dinner table that night. So I took a lot of pride in that in in sort of letting photography be a way for me to overcome my extreme I think that is important to get over the feeling that you're not being judged. Even when I'm out taking pictures of someone else, it's still when there's people around, it's hard to get over it. Yeah, it is. You know, there's this amazing realization that I had at one point, which was that nobody cares about me. Like, (laughs) truly, really, nobody cares. Like, I care way more than anybody else cares. So, like, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? And how could it possibly impact my life? And when you realize that the answer is that it won't, then it suddenly becomes okay. And maybe with social media, with all the responses we get on there that are faceless, um, when Mm -hmm. you have people around you actually interacting with you, it can be sort of refreshing. Oh, definitely. Oh, my gosh. I've had so many good experiences where I'm shooting and somebody, you know, comes up and wants to know what's going on. And and you feel that genuine connection and their curiosity. And you don't get to see that online. I mean, you see curiosity written in people who are asking questions. But to have somebody right there, you know, watching their face light up as they understand what you're trying to do, that's priceless. I'm surprised in L.A. that people would come around like that because it seems like there's always something filming in LA <laughs> every second of every day. <laughs> Definitely. It, I mean, I also don't understand it because I mean, I'll be like right in the middle of like a filming Mecca and somebody will still come up and question it. Um, but I tend to go to very remote places when I shoot. So, you know, instead of going to Venice Beach or something, I would always drive an hour up the coast until I saw nobody and nothing around and then I would shoot there. <laughs> I guess that also speaks to what your idea was in the theme of the shoot and that people probably haven't seen that before. It's not just a normal model shoot out on the beach in L.A. for whatever Yeah, definitely. I definitely look nothing like a normal model on a beach, that's for sure. (laughs) You're taking risks. And I saw the... The speed edit you did of the lantern shoot you just did where you jumped in the water, yeah. that was very interesting. And where does the vision come from for your post-production? Because the part of it, obviously, is shooting. The first is the idea, the second is shooting, and then obviously you have post-production vision that you do afterwards. Yeah. Where does that start? Well, it starts when I'm planning. I almost always have um, some kind of sketch drawn out with uh, about a paragraph of words written, which will say everything from a quick note about what the concept is and why the props are important. And then I'll usually make a note about post-processing. And some things I don't need to note because they're constants in my editing process, but other things stem from, okay, well, how dark do I need the background to be to allow the subject to stand out? And um, what color do I want the light to be? Because that's a really important way of communicating a message in a picture. Um, and uh, I mean, especially color, I would say. I really focus on color when I'm thinking about post-production, when I'm planning it. So a lot of my notes are saying, you know, well, turn the dress red, even though it was blue, or, you know, make the background darker or make the sky look yellow or something like that. With your fine artwork, I know a lot of people will think about not crushing the blacks or keeping the highlights in order or... Just yeah. so that looks good, and you need to be in within this parameter. Right. So with right. your work, do you not worry about that at all, or you just say, this is my vision, and I'm going to take whatever I need to make it happen? 
yeah, I definitely don't worry about it. I have been in situations where somebody's been watching me edit and they'll say, you can't print that like that because you don't have a true black point and things like that. And I'll say, where did you learn that? Like, where, where is this coming from? <laughs> because I never learned that. And I think I, I'm very grateful that in some ways that I had never taken a photography course before mm-hmm. because I never learned about those conventions that you would learn in photography school or you might learn. So I never learned that you had to have a black point or a white point or anything like that. And I just started playing in Photoshop in any way that would fulfill my vision, no matter what it did to the picture. Like in the beginning, I was doing things that were definitely destructive to my images and editing where I would be, um, I don't know, like working on JPEGs instead of raw and allowing banding to happen and like things like that, that, that as somebody who's just starting out, not thinking about printing, mm-hmm. you don't care. You're just trying desperately to get this image to match your vision. So I've progressed slightly since then, but not much to be honest. I mean, I use really basic tools in Photoshop, but, but my goal is just to fulfill my vision. And then if I can print that, then even better. The internet, obviously it's brought a wealth of information and, with photography, it's great. You can learn so much more stuff faster than you could before. But also, mm-hmm. you you find out these rules that people talk about on there, and it sort of limits you right at the beginning. Whereas, like, you yeah. would play around. It's much better just to learn and make mistakes at the beginning and actually find out right. why those rules are there instead of just adhering to them at the beginning. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I've never gone into any art form saying I have to follow the rules. And I guess, that, I mean, that just makes me my personality to do that to, or to not do that. Um, and and I think I've watched people who start from the technical point where they say, okay, I've learned everything there is to learn about lighting and about my camera and about all, all of Photoshop. Now, where do I start? And I think that becomes limiting because you've set yourself up with these parameters that you have to stay between or you think you have to and then suddenly your imagination can't grow because you're thinking oh well, I want to do this idea but I have to adhere to this rule that I learned about and that's sort of to me the backwards way of doing it I would much rather have the idea and still to this day I, I will always tell myself have the idea first no matter how ridiculous or far-fetched it seems and then find a way to do it instead of the other way around. Do you have a workflow set down in post-production where you start somewhere and you go to a point and then you sort of diverge for a different image? Yeah. Do you use uh, Adobe Bridge? Do you use Lightroom to like organize everything and then take them into Photoshop? <laughs> Actually, I'm I'm so not organized. Um, <laughs> I use Bridge. So I but when I shoot, here's the thing: when I shoot, <laughs> I only have like ten images, maybe when I'm taking pictures. So I don't really have anything to organize or or anything like that. Like typically when I'm choosing images that I'm going to edit, Mm -hmm. it's pretty much just, um, uh, I don't know, like maybe two or three um, main images that I'm choosing from in terms of the pose. And then the rest are just part of the composite that I'll be putting in extra images that I had to shoot for that. So when I get into bridge, it's not like I have to sort things or organize them. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's obviously my picture. And then I take it straight into Photoshop. So you have the idea and then you set about to go get it and you don't. That's interesting. You don't, I figured you would have had to take a lot more images than that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I do sometimes. Like I, I was recently in Australia and I was doing a photo shoot with my sister on the beach and it was cold and rainy, and I don't think she really wanted to be there at all. And, of course, that's the moment that I can't get it together. And I I think I took, like, 100 pictures, which is so unusual for me. And I felt so guilty. And she kept saying, seriously, if you say one more time, one more time, I'm going to kill you. 
And so I was like, oh, dear. So we took a lot of pictures. But that is not typical. I mean, I usually I know the pose that I want. And because I'm often doing self-portraits, I just can feel the way that it, it feels. And so I can pretty quickly get into that pose. And I've also sort of gotten rid of any... Um, preconceived notions of how I want myself to look. So I'm not looking at what does my face look like? What does my body look like? I'm just thinking, okay, what should the character look like and how can I get in that position? So it, it usually is pretty quick. I mean, sometimes I'll take maybe 20 images, but that's definitely like a, a, a bigger shoot that I'll be doing. Anytime a photographer says one more, it never means just one more. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's like a trap. And I feel like even if you could have just stopped then, the fact that you said it forces you to do more. <laughs> If you're working with someone else and you ask them how much time they have, if they say, oh, I have all night, then you're going to take all night. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get more <laughs> images. Why not? If you work with someone else, like with your sister or whoever else, how different mm -hmm. is that? And how much do you have to concentrate on having another person there versus when you're just working with yourself? Well, I I do pretty much only work with my friends and family for the most part. I mean, the the work that I do does not require me to hire agency models or anything like that. So I pick my model based on generally what I want the character to look like, which is usually just body type, hair length, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, so it's it's a pretty similar process because I feel like I can boss them around more because <laughs> they are my close friends and family. So in you know if it was somebody that I didn't know, then I would go through the formality of you know explaining everything thoroughly and and sort of letting them do their thing a little bit. But usually I can just say, okay, here's the concept like this and I'll move them around until they're in the pose and then I'll take a shot so it's really quick and and hopefully that's how they like it because they I mean they're not models they don't want to be in front of my camera most <laughs> of the time so it's quick and painless for them are they surprised when the final image comes because I mean I assume they know the character and they know the concept when you're shooting but then you yeah. go through your post-production process are they shocked by what it looks like no, I don't think so, to be honest, because I don't think they care very much. <laughs> and I think that that's a really awesome thing because I don't tend to surround myself with other photographers very often. Mm -hmm. I like to sort of let that be my creative thing. And then when I go see my friends and family, we don't talk about that or we don't have to talk about that. So so usually it's like they, they care, I guess, and, and they think that it's neat. But then, I don't know, they're not really looking that deep into it. <laughs> When you do a project outside of your, for like someone else's project, I have yeah. a, a friend, Kat Rosenfield, is an author. I uh -huh. believe you did the, one yep. of your images, the cover for her book, Inland. Yeah. So how did that process come to be? And then is there cooperation on both sides to get the final image? Yeah, definitely. So that, um, I do some book covers every year, and that's just through contacts that I have in different publishing companies. So sometimes they'll email me and they'll say, okay, here's the description of the book, and this is generally what we're thinking for the concept, so do you want the job? And then we'll go through sort of a back-and-forth process of me saying, okay, well, here are my thoughts, and here are some concepts that we could try out, and then if they approve them, then we'll start moving forward. So usually a book cover, and it totally depends on, on what the job is um, and who I'm working with, but... Sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, okay, we saw this picture that you did. And this is actually what happened with that book cover where they said, we saw this picture that you did, but it's a little bit too dark. It's a little bit, it doesn't fit the tone of the book. So can you redo this image? Like almost everything the same, but just with a little bit of a lighter tone to it. So that 
um, is one way that I work sometimes with publishing companies where they'll say, just recreate this image with some tweaks. And then other times they'll say, okay, this is the image we want. Can you create this exact image? In which case I usually push back a little bit to put my vision into it. And then most of the time, though, they'll say, here's the synopsis of the book. What do you recommend? And then if they approve it, I'll move forward with my vision. That's a different way of working because you're cooperating with other people. But they generally go with your vision? Generally. um, It depends. Uh, Sometimes the author, for example, is really involved and, you know, she's got a very specific idea of exactly what that main character should look like and things like that. So that can become a little bit trickier when every detail is, you know, needing to match what's written in the book. But um, but generally, I'm given a good amount of creative freedom. And to be honest, I I usually sense that in in the early stages, and I just won't accept the job if I feel like it's going to not at all be what I want to create. I can see that when you're writing something, you get that character image in your head. It's hard to shake it. Yeah, definitely. I just finished my first novel, and I've been sort of like going over it and reading my character descriptions, and I keep thinking wow, I have to shoot my own book cover because how could I ever let somebody else do this? (laughs) Well, especially it's in your head and you're obviously good at getting what's in your head out onto the screen. So it would be a really odd (laughs) process to let someone else do it. Yeah, it would be, I guess. I mean, I don't know in what world that would ever happen, but I've got to get it published (laughs) first, so we'll see. (laughs) So that'll be an exciting process, right? Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's, it's my greatest passion, so I hope it works out. Me too. Congratulations on finishing it. Oh, thank you. Let's see. I want to talk about, you put this post online, What Won't Serve You, the blog post. Mm -hmm. You must produce consistently as one. I saw on your Instagram, you post how many Instagram photos? Not a lot. Yeah, I don't even know. I'm very bad at Instagram (laughs) because I'm not good at using my phone. (laughs) Do you still feel pressure to produce as much work as, say, whoever else your photos you're looking at? Uh, Not anymore, but... That was that's a very new change as of this year, to be honest. I was always extremely concerned with how much work I was putting out and making sure that I was consistent and not wanting to lose people who were following my work. And then I had a really big shift on how I viewed that suddenly where where I realized that, you know, in the end, I, I want to connect with people, but I need to do that in a completely genuine way where it's not about followers and it's not about people looking at my work. It's about the quality of, of those things happening. So it's not about followers. It's about developing friendships and real communication between people and having people really feel something when they look at what I'm doing. So I just had a big mental shift and I stopped creating so consistently and, um, and I, I've slowed down considerably. So the first year that I started creating photographs, I created pretty much one every single day for that first year. And then it started slowing down, it started slowing down. And now I'm at the point where I'll probably create maybe 30 or 40 images this year that, um, that I will put online, but no more than that. And that's a big step for me to sort of slow it down that much. And I know that's still kind of a lot of images, but... But that's just, that's my pace right now that feels really good. And communicating that is a big thing with your audience or your following. Mm-hmm. It's like making sure they understand that and then they'll know when to look for a new image or they'll know that, hey, she's not going to post an image every single day, but the image we will see next is very high quality. And that's what we're here right. for. Right, exactly. I think it's so good to just say things out loud that you're feeling afraid of. And I knew that when I made that change, when I actively decided to stop creating so much just for the sake of having content to put out, that if I just said that to people and they read it, then there would be a complete understanding. Nobody would say, oh, that's terrible of you. Of course that wouldn't happen. (laughs) 
want to end on something that's kind of silly. Okay. But with our selfie culture that we have now, how do you think that's mm-hmm. changed how people look at self-portraiture? Because they're definitely different things. They are, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's it's something where people are... I, I still think it's just completely separate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because, because I've watched people take selfies and still have no idea what I mean by a self-portrait. Like, no idea. <laughs> and and I've watched people who been to a workshop of mine where they say, well, I've taken selfies, but this is totally different. And they recognize that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's actually just been a really good tool to relate to people because I'll be speaking to a group of people and I'll be able to say, well, you know how you take selfies and everybody <laughs> in the room has done it. And then they'll be like, yeah, yeah. And then I'll say, okay, well, that's not what I do. And then we can sort of dive into what <laughs> what it is to do a self-portrait and so I think that in a way people are more comfortable getting in front of the camera um than before which is Mm -hmm. a really good thing but there's still a huge gap between creating art using yourself and just trying to take a pretty picture there is thank you and I have one more question who do you think I should interview next about their creative process do you have anyone who's you're itching to know their secrets yes I do um her name is Samantha Gabal at least I think I'm saying her name right. It's G E B A L L E. Samantha Gabal. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So that's who I think you should do. She is quite honestly one of the only people that I still follow online who I think is doing extremely consistently meaningful work. So highly recommend that. Thank you. I'll get in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brooke. Oh, my pleasure. I had such a good time. Thank you. That was Brooke Shaden, fine art photographer, author, and speaker. Thank you for listening to the Creative Process Podcast. I'm Dave Hopper. This has been a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. The music is Big Screen by Silent Partner. Join me next time when I speak with Brooke's recommendation, photographer Samantha Gabal. <laughs>